Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our Reclaim series, and today we are talking about identity. Before we get started, I have this question for you. When was the first time you remember feeling self-conscious? Like I said, we're still in our Reclaim series. And we're gonna be talking about things that I'm really excited um, after being not as excited to preach on this passage. Because I think the challenge at New Abbey is always, we say we take the Bible seriously, then it should mean something for our lives in Los Angeles in 2018. Um, it should mean something in light of uh, the Supreme Court hearings and AP decision and tsunamis and um, marriage being hard and kids being wild and money being stressful. It should mean something to our actual lives and it should work. And not work as in fix everything, but it should make sense and we should be able to live our lives congruent with the things that we believe in a place like Los Angeles in 2018. And so, um, Let's read some Luke. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from the world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. I get it. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them. Terror gripped them as the cloud covered. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him onto convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they could not do it. Pretty self-explanatory. We just go. Um, <laughs> yeah, you go. You know what I mean. So um, a few uh, weeks ago or months ago, I don't even know because we've been in this series for so long, but we took a break and we did our uh, series called Questions. And I got to preach one Sunday, and the question was, is it important to believe in a literal resurrection? 
And so uh, we talked about this. We had a great conversation. Um, and we talked about this idea, right? This, this idea, the difference sort of between religion and spirituality. Religion being something that you are told to believe and spirituality being something that you experience. The two are not mutually exclusive. They should inform one another. And when it came to the resurrection, um, I'm summarizing the entire sermon in this, uh, basically we talked about this idea that um, not everyone, right, in a church like this believes in a literal resurrection, but almost everyone here believes that you can uh, come back from the hardest thing you've ever been through. Believes in freedom after oppression, believes in uh, love after fear, believes in freedom, believes in hope, believes in these things, believes in resurrection. So sometimes in Christianity or in churches, we are told what to believe first, and then sort of that can be in conflict with our experiences. We talk about the idea of what if we take our experiences and let that inform what we believe. Everyone in here believes in resurrection. Does everyone believe in the literal resurrection? I'm not sure, but let's start from here, and that should inform what we believe, because we've all experienced something. And so um, we get to the transfiguration, this moment, this mountaintop experience that Jesus has where his face is lit up, his clothes are sparkly white, which is amazing. And um, he has this, these people come back literally from the dead to tell him things. It's this whole mountaintop experience, right? And as I'm reading it and understanding and even looking at the context of where Jesus was before this, Jesus is in a place he's being questioned. People are asking, who are you? What are you doing? And I can't even believe I'm going to tell this story that Corey, I give him crap because he tells this story all the time. And he's going to hate how I tell it because I'm going to mess up the details. But there's a rabbi in a certain century named Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva is a second century rabbi. And details that honestly won't impact the story. He was a rabbi and walking, walking past a Roman something. And there's a guard. Um, and the Roman guard yells out to him and says, sir, who are you and where are you going? And Rabbi Akiva is like, what'd you say? And then he's like, who are you and where are you going? And then the rabbi asks the Roman guard, how much do they pay you? Every day, he tells them, and then the rabbi says, I'll double that for you to come live with me and ask me that every day. Um, who are you and where are you going? These are questions that were being asked of Jesus. Who are you? What are you doing? Where are you going? Jesus had been on this earth long enough to understand the reality that to be human and to have a purpose and to be moving somewhere means to be questioned. And to be questioned and to be challenged right, for any human beings in the room, creates a little bit of insecurity. I don't know what your answers to the first questions were, but some of the first times I felt self-conscious about myself were when someone challenged who I was and what I was doing. Um, challenged who I said I was, or who I thought I was, or who my parents said I was. Someone said I was something different, and that created a little bit of insecurity. Changed the way I thought about myself, changed the way I interacted with the world. And if you're unfamiliar with that experience, kudos, you've made it. But we have these moments and these experiences. And so Jesus goes to this mountain to pray, and it says his face 
changes, he is lit up. And I imagine this moment, and he has this confirmation of exactly those two things, who he is and where he's going. His friends even come back from the dead to remind him of this, right? Um, not sure if that's ever happened to any of you. Um, probably not. But you might have people in your life who remind you who you are and where you're going. And then even God comes down and reminds, with God's voice, reminds Jesus who he is and where he's going. And I was thinking about this, and as I was thinking about this in light of Kavanaugh, in light of APU, in light of my own life, realizing that all of us go through life and people put things on us that change the way we see ourselves, that cause us to put our head a little lower, um, that cause us to question, that create a veil. You may be a student at APU and your school says it's not okay to be who you are and so you change the way you look. And so some people, you're watching these Kavanaugh hearings and something has happened to you and people are saying that's not real and so it changes the way you hold your head. And some people in here feel like they are the worst thing they've ever done and that causes them to change the way they hold themselves. And some people feel like their only value is the things that they do and without that they are nothing and that changes the way that they hold their face. And for all of us, it's important to know that you need moments to go to a mountain and be reminded of who you are and what you are doing. To connect with the divine and allow God to remind you who you are and where you're going. To have people in your life who will remind you who you are and where you're going. It might not be friends coming back from the dead, but it may be a group of girls around bottles of wine saying, don't you forget this is what you said you wanted to do. I know who you are. I've seen who you are. This shame is not who you are. This story is not who you are. You are not what people say about you. You are not what systems have told you you are. You are not the ceiling that the world has created for you. I know who you are, and I'm going to tell you that. We need mountaintop moments because we get things put on us, no matter who you are. Society puts stuff, systems, structures, your family, your spouse, I don't care, people put stuff on you and it changes the way you hold yourself. And to be free and to be filled with light and to have this moment where even the divine, God's self speaks and reminds you who you are and where you're going. For people to do that, they need to what? Know who you are and where you're going. So I, I love this moment. And as I was like thinking about it, I was like, yes, this is so awesome. We need mountaintop moments. We need to be reminded who we are and where we're going. And I believe that, and I stand by that. And then the next verse. The world is just as shitty as it was before Jesus went on that mountain and was reminded who he was and where he was going. The next day. Jesus goes down the mountain, and what? Evil is still happening. People are still sick. A little boy is possessed with a demon. He's confronted with the same realities that were there when he left. The mountaintop moments do not change the reality of the world that we exist in, but they change the reality of the way we exist in the world. And so all of us who are interested in this counter-narrative, who are interested in bringing something different to the world on this road, it doesn't change that. We grew up, and we talk about this all the time. If you grew up in the evangelical church, this weird shift happened after some agriculture or industrial revolution. One of the revolutions, <laughs> Corey knows, I don't know when, 
The history's not as important here. But at some point, we started to believe, hey, you want to get rid of that thing you've struggled with for 15 years? Just raise your hand. Just come to the front. That's actually not how it works. You don't get one mountaintop moment, and then everything is different. You get one mountaintop moment, you get reminded of who you are, you get a little gas in the tank, and you go back into the world that's probably the same as when you left it. The lasers and lights and fog, unfortunately, don't go home with you. And so, the wild thing is, even in this mountaintop moment that Jesus is having, he's reminded of what's ahead of him. The who you are and what you're going isn't even that amazing. Guess where you're going? To the cross. <laughs> but we support you. Um, thanks, Beck. <laughs> but I love this because we talk about this all the time in New Abbey. You don't get to uh, Sunday without Friday. The road of love and the road of suffering are the same road to love. To know love is to know suffering. Um, and so Jesus, even in his mountaintop moment, is reminded of how he's going to get to the place where he needs to go. And that's through some pain. But he's reminded with people and God and divine moments because all of us, right, have this divine call to get away and reminded who we are and where we're going, not for the purpose of that changing everything, but to be reminded of it, simply. And so then this next day, the world is just the same. And we're going to get into this in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to keep going through this passage in more specifics about this moment. But it creates this reality, I think, for me, because I'm an Enneagram 7, which means I would love for a mountaintop moment to be the end of the story, and then everyone, the credits roll, and it's like every Disney movie ever. Um, and so even the other day, as... I haven't even realized how programmed I am to think like this. So yesterday, as I was doing everything to avoid finishing this sermon, um, literally, I was like, babe, should, should we mop the floors? Should we go through our junk drawers? Uh, my friend Katie, uh, who's here, texted me. And she said, new season of Chef's Table. And I was like, great. <laughs> that is exactly what I needed. And so um, we actually joked, because she was like, it should be a reward for writing a sermon. And I was like, that's not how sevens work. It's reward first. <laughs> Then work. So, um, so I watched season one, or season five, episode one of Chef's Table. Has anyone seen it? Great. Okay. <laughs> My friend Katie, who told me about it, has seen it. So, um, so I'm watching this, and I'm going to tell you the whole episode, but it's not like a spoiler because it's not really a show that has like a plot. I'm not Corey, and I don't ruin Harry Potter for people, but. Um, I know. Sorry, I'm giving you so much crap today. I'm sorry. Um, he does. Yeah, that's a true thing that's happened in this room. So um, Chef's Table, if you don't know what it is, it's a show on Netflix. And every episode is essentially a mini documentary on one really amazing chef. It's honestly the best thing I've ever seen on TV. You should watch it if you're trying to avoid doing anything. It's great. So <laughs> season five, episode one. It's a chef named Christina. She's amazing. She is from Mexico. And she ended up in Philadelphia. And she happens to be undocumented. It's a big part of her story. Because she left um, Mexico because she wanted to be in a position where she could get, send money so her daughter could go to boarding school and her daughter could follow uh, the educational dreams that she had. 
So she comes and she's working in kitchens and she's like working her ass off. I mean, and people are like noticing she's getting promoted. Things start to work out. She meets this very unlikely husband. If you're watching the show, he's in like Tevas, white guy, glasses, really tall. And he's like, I didn't really speak Spanish. She didn't really speak English. We just connected. And I was like, great. This, I did not see this part of the story coming. So um, they get married. So there's this, she makes, she, she makes this specialty, right? This, this special dish. And she talks about the dish representing home for her. And she missed home. And at some point, she started making it in her kitchen and then making it in her kitchen. And then all people, a bunch of people who were also immigrants would be like, it, this feels like home. And then she would start inviting them. And then her apartment got too full. And they were rented this restaurant and then the restaurant was getting full and the restaurant was getting full with all these um, other immigrants who had a similar story to hers and she was saying well wait why are we treated this way she started noticing some of the inequities and creating these moments for these people to be resourced to to share their story to experience home to create this family and i'm just like crying i'm like this is so beautiful um, because it is and what she is doing in philly through this restaurant is incredible and then I'm like, wait, where's the daughter? And then they cut, and the daughter is still in Mexico. And they've been trying to get her. She's applied for a visa twice. It's been denied. And so I'm like, uh, grew up in the evangelical church, Enneagram 7, uh, like American movie person. And I'm watching, and I'm like, by the end of the episode, they will have been reunited. <laughs> because that's how things work. And so I'm watching this. <laughs> And I'm like, no, don't even let yourself go there that they might still be separated because I know how stories work. And so um, I'm watching this woman, like the strength of this woman. I could cry right now thinking about it as she talked about everything that she had to go through to just get where she was. And then when she got there, decided to give everything she had so that other people could get where she was doing the most good in the world. And it was amazing. And then at the end of the episode, her daughter's still in Mexico. They haven't seen each other in 13 years because their visas keep getting denied. And I was like, how is this so good and so hard and so confusing and so right and so not right? Oh, because that's how life goes. And it was so upsetting, but also comforting to know that we have mountaintop moments. We participate in the most good in the world. We have moments where like our clothes are dazzling. We're like, I'm on. And then we have moments where things are really hard and things are happening. And that's actually how life goes. And if you want to participate in the counter narrative, in the repair of the world, you better participate in your own repair. And that's going to get messy and uncomfortable. And if you do not think that every single human being needs mountaintop moments, you are wrong. And mountaintop moments look like self-care, soul care, and people around you, and not feeling bad for taking a break to remember who you are and why you're even doing what you're doing. Because if you don't, you're going to do more harm than repair. I love our church because we have so many people in this church who are so justice-minded. And sometimes, very unfortunately, it, you can get so justice-minded and so focused on repairing things and move so fast that we forget that sometimes we need to go to a mountain and pray and be reminded who we are, that we end up feeling and taking on 
sometimes the same feelings and emotions that we're trying to fight against. I have gotten so angry before in work towards racial justice that I start to look at all white people some kind of way. That's my indicator. I need to go to a mountain and pray. If you feel like you want to just put boots to the ground and you want to take this thing down, but you are so tired, take a morning. Get some friends around you who can remind you who you are and why you're doing it. There is no shame in needing to go to the mountain and be reminded before you go to work. This was a freaking rough week. This was a hard week. And some of us, this wasn't even a hard week because of anything in the news. It was just hard. Some of you are like, I don't have social media. What happened this week? Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hug someone after church. Um, <laughs> but it was a hard week. And I feel like the temptation when things are hard is to just run. And we see that in a great example of Jesus, sometimes it's to get away. It's to answer that divine call that says get people around you, get people who know you, get reminded of who you are, and then get back in the game. There's no shame in that. If you're feeling like you need a little break, like you just want to have a glass of wine with some friends and remember why you started fighting for whatever it is you're fighting for, then you are in good company with Jesus, by the way. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so that is my challenge to all of us this week. Find a mountaintop. And don't look for a mountaintop because you want some kind of escape that's going to change everything else. No, find a mountaintop that's going to remind you why you are in the business of trying to change these things and these systems and these cycles and these narratives. In your own life, in our society, there's a lot of them. But we say this almost every week. Our healing is inextricably tied to the healing of the world. You want to be a part of that repair? Let's start repairing, right? Sometimes that takes getting away on a mountain, and that's okay. That is okay. So, we're going to get back in our groups. We're going to talk about this. What is one thing you can do this week to remind it of who you are? If you hate that question, you can honestly talk about anything. And we'll be back in a few. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.